Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. God is telling his people the very first thing God says. God says, hey, I don't want us to go around concealing falsehoods for one another. I don't want us to be that kind of nation. I don't want us to be that kind of people. I want us to be a people of the truth. I want, to, I want us to be a people that walk in the light. And so I'm going to give a few things that lying does. Lying aligns you with Satan. It says in John 8, that Satan is the father of all lies. The devil is called the father of lies in the Bible. And when a child of God bears false witness and tell lies, they are aligning themselves with the character of Satan. Today, Pastor Bill will be challenging you to be a light in this dark world and to take upon yourself the characteristics of your Father in heaven. God gave His chosen nation, Israel, very clear instructions, which included being truthful to one another. God wants His people to be separate from the world and to act in a holy manner. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Leviticus, chapter 5, for today's edition of A Transforming Word. Look at verse 1 with me. It says, If a person sins in hearing the utterance of an oath and is a witness, rather he has seen or known of the matter, if he does not tell it, he bears guilt. So this is dealing with bearing false witness, telling the truth. God said, look, if you hear, if, if, if your neighbor, your friend bears an oath and you know that they said that they were going to do a certain thing and they renege on it, they pull back, you're aware of it. God says, hey, you're, you're responsible to come forth. You're responsible to tell the truth. And so I thought it was interesting as he begins to lay out these things that the very first thing on God's list here is he wants there to be integrity among his people. He wants there to be truth among his people. He doesn't want them to be a people that are concealing sin, that are lying to cover up for one another, that are bearing false witness for other people. So God says, hey, I want you guys to deal with this. And I'm not going to, you know, as I was going through the chapter, I went through it, I went through it, I went through it. God brought me back to this thing. And just so I don't know if we got some people here struggling with truthfulness, but um, I'm going to go in, in depth a little bit on this. God doesn't want his people lying or bearing false witness. He wants us, he doesn't want us concealing the truth. Now, as I looked at this, I was thinking, well, what's the, what's, what is it? Why would it be such a big deal to God if it's not even, you didn't tell the lie per se. You're just aware of an untruth. So it'd be like me and Dewan or somewhere and Dewan hears me tell someone else something untrue. This thing is saying that Dewan is now responsible for putting me on blast. What do they call that today? Snitching, right? So not, it's not very popular in our culture. It, would, it wouldn't be a popular thing if Dewan, in our culture, if Dewan were aware of some, something on my part, something that I was, I was lying and he saw me telling the lie and he knew it was a lie. Um, it wouldn't be a popular thing in our culture for Dewan to say, hey, um, that thing that you just said right there, bro, that was a lie. That, would be, that wouldn't be seen as a very, it would be seen as snitching. But God is telling his people the very first thing God says. God says, hey, I don't want us to go around concealing falsehoods for one another. I don't want us to be that kind of nation. I don't want us to be that kind of people. I want us to be a people of the truth. I want, to, I want us to be a people that walk in the light. And so I'm going to give a few things that lying does. Lying aligns you with Satan. It says in John 8, that Satan is the father of all lies. 
says that when he tells a lie, he speaks of his own resources, for he is a liar. He's the father of it. So, he, that, I mean, when you tell a lie, you're aligning yourself with Satan. That's what he does. We know that God is truth. He, he doesn't just tell the truth. He is the truth. So when we lie, when we walk in that sort of darkness, we align ourselves with Satan. If you're writing notes, write down Psalm, I'm sorry, write down Proverbs 12, 22. Um, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 22 says this says, lying lips are an abomination, I'm sorry, Proverbs 12, 22, yeah. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal truthfully are his delight. So God says, hey, lying lips, they're an abomination to me. And so um, not only does it align you with Satan, it's an abomination to God, put you, put you in odds with the Lord. Um, it can hinder your service and your fellowship with the Lord. This is in Psalms chapter 20, Psalms 24, I'm going to read verses three and four of Psalms 24. It says this, Psalm 24, verse three and four. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully. God said, hey, who's going to be coming into that intimate place with me? Who's going to who's going to come into the, the, the house of the Lord? Who's going to who's going to ascend into the hill of the Lord? Those who are right. Those who have clean hands and a pure heart. Those who have not sworn deceitfully. Um, so it's it's important to the Lord that we be people that walk in the light, walk in the truth. In our culture, we, we can color code sins. Um, everybody says if they tell if they tell what they deem something to be a little lie, what do they call it? A white lie. Where do they get that from? What is a white lie? No one, no one says, no, we don't color coding. We don't say black adultery, red murder, you know, purple drunkenness. Um, but we got a white lie. It's just a, it's, 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 it's kind of a, a way of, of diminishing it and just saying, well, it's not that big. It's kind of little. It's just a little, a little white lie. And God says, no, I want us to be a people of the truth. I want us to be a people that, that, that not only do we walk in the truth, but we require it of one another. And that's something I want to point out, that while they're going to have to offer this offering, notice that this has to do with dealing with each other. It's not even just personal. It's not even just me personally making sure I tell the truth. God says, no, you're going to be a part of being a culture of people that are speaking the truth. You're going to be holding people accountable. You're going to be doing very unpopular things. And as I read this, I'm thinking, man, who, who would want to be the guy? To have to put his brother or sister on blast and say, no, you're, you're, you're telling a lie. I don't think anybody would want to be that person. But God says that's how we're going to have a culture of people that are not like the rest of the world. Uh, we're going to be a people that walk in truth and walk in the light. And I guess if we knew we were in that kind of culture, people would live different. Um, anybody here, if you hung out with people that you knew would tell on you, you probably behave different than if you were hanging out with people that you knew would, would lie on you. If you're being, if you're gonna be around some people that you knew, if I get, if they're gonna tell on me, if, if something happens wrong, they're going to tell. Um, you would restrain yourself. You'd be more cautious. There'd be some things you wouldn't do. Um, but if you're with some people that you know got your back, they're gonna lie with you. Um, you might be a little looser in what you do and what you get into. And so God says, hey, I, I want there to be a culture among us where we speak the truth. We don't conceal darkness. Another thing, concealing the truth causes us who are supposed to be walking in the light with Christ to be walking in darkness with the devil. Um, when we conceal the truth, instead of walking in the light with the Lord, we end up walking in darkness with the devil, with the enemy. And I don't know if anyone here has ever felt the relief of, of telling the truth, of just getting it off of you. Um, there's a relief. It's like, man, once you've told the truth, it's, it's, 
Now I don't have to, I don't have to hide anymore. I don't have to keep it to myself anymore. I don't have to try to keep up with all my stories. Um, you know, there was some, there was a few, there was, I did a lot of lies in my life, but um, one in particular, my father was someone who, what, the kind of relationship me and my dad had developed, I never lied to my dad. So if my dad ever asked me something, I would just tell him. Um, there was never a penalty on telling my dad the truth. So um, that was established since I was a little kid. And the first lie I remember telling my dad was I got kicked out of my eighth grade school and I had done a certain thing to get expelled. And I was kind of embarrassed to admit that I'd actually done it. So when my dad asked me, I remember saying, no, nah, I didn't do it. And he said, OK, hey, I'm going to ask you again, take you at your word. And that was it. And that was in eighth grade. And I remember when I got saved and I moved in with my dad and me and him used to go jogging. We used to go running. And it was one morning and it was just on me. Like I had to get this off of me. I had it was the one lie I had between me and my dad. And I was like, man, uh, I, I got to tell you something. And um, and I remember just getting it out and telling him, like, remember when you asked me that? And I and I, he remembered and, and I told him all, so I was like, I, I did do it, you know, and it just felt good. Get it off. Like, man, I'm now that lie between me and my dad's gone. It's a wrap. We're good. We're in the we're in the clear. There was another time where I remember telling the truth and it probably saved myself and my sister from having um, some things happen to us. We had a next door neighbor. I, I found out as an adult that on my very the block that I lived on, there were three molesters. And as I'm an adult now, there's there's multiple friends that I know that were molested by people on my block right next door on the left, two houses down on the right and way down the street at the church. There was a church on my block and there was a guy who was right next door to our house. My parents were gone on a trip and my brother was hanging out with his sister. And this guy maybe was a, a young adult, but he came back to where me and my sister were. We were five and six. And we were about to be molested. Yeah, he had both of us completely stripped down. And at that moment, someone walked in and it was all foiled. And we were coached, my sister and I, not to say anything, not to tell anybody anything. You know, you're going to get in trouble and all these things. But I had been coached by my dad to tell him everything. So my dad got home and he said, hey, what happened while I was gone? And I said, um, man, something, something bad. And he's like, okay, let's get in the car. We're in the car. And I told him everything. And my dad, I don't know what he did, um, but everybody involved seemed to have been maneuvered in life. That individual was not there next door any longer. Whatever happened, it got dealt with. And I look back on that and I think, man, if, if I had have concealed it, it could have come back again. And I, I mean, that's probably how those kind of things take place. And I look back and think, man, just that one telling of the truth, because I was comfortable telling the truth to my dad, I look back and I think that might have preserved us. Because I know, I know another kid that wasn't, he's an adult now, but wasn't that fortunate. So there's so many benefits of telling the truth. There's really not a benefit in telling a lie. When you tell a lie, you're concealing the truth and it just keeps you in a place of darkness. Um, usually when someone tells a lie, it's to conceal the truth, to hold back truth. They don't want the truth to get out. God wants the truth to get out. He wants us to be people that are, that are telling the truth. So look at the, the last part of verse one. So if, if you've seen or you know of a matter, the last part of verse one says, if he does not tell it, he bears guilt. So it's not even you telling the lie. God said, if you know of another scenario, you know of something else that's being put forth and it's not true. If you know it and you don't tell it, if he does not tell, 
he will bear guilt. And so I would just point this out to us because, again, we live in a culture, especially the young people, um, where, you know, there's all kind of phrases, snitches get stitches. And this is a very unpopular thing to tell on somebody else. And I'm just looking at the word and God is saying, hey, you bear guilt. If you, you're now connected with them in their darkness. And so among the children of Israel, God was saying, I want you guys to tell the truth. I want you guys to let it know. And God is saying, look, it isn't enough to just not tell the truth. God wants his people to make the truth known. It's not just enough for you to not tell a lie, but I want you to be people that make the truth known. And I would, I think that that can even bear a parallel to that in our, our life as believers, our witness for the Lord, that it wouldn't be enough for me to just not agree with the non-believer, to not, to not tell a lie about who God is. God says, I want you to go beyond that. Um, when you see that someone else is, is not aware of the truth, I want you to tell the truth. I want you to let them know. I, I don't want you to just not know uh, or not say the wrong thing. I want you to say the right thing. So sometimes as believers, we can be comfortable in a place where, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I no longer believe the wrong thing, but I'm, I'm okay with listening to people around me believe the wrong thing and not say something. God said, I want you to say something. It's kind of uncomfortable. You feel like you're, you're, you're butting in where you don't belong. But, you, you know, we kind of do belong in. If someone starts talking about God in a way that's not right because they're misinformed, they don't know, they've been deceived. God says, hey, you heard it. You got to speak up. You got to just jump in that conversation and, and let it go. You know, me and my, my daughters had went into a we had went into Starbucks over here in Inglewood and it didn't just so happen. We, we walk in and there's these two women on the side talking and the one lady's tutoring a kid, another lady saying, I got my son, he needs to be mentored, he needs some strong men in his life. And the lady says, well, you know, there's a really good church. Um, she said, you should find a Calvary Chapel for him to go to. You know, we go over down by South Bay sometimes. And I just heard that. And so my daughter's like, dad, I know you're gonna jump in that conversation and tell him it's one in And I'm like, I kind of got you. I mean, I just, I just pretty much, just heard that right there. So sure enough, you know, I, I jumped right in there and, and let him know and, and um, gave him flyers and talked to him. I, I think I see that lady every every afternoon when we go over there. She's in there. Um, when it comes to gospel conversations, though, God says, jump in there. They don't know. You don't tell them. He wants us to be active, wants us to be involved. Look down now. Um, verses two and three says, or if a person touches any unclean thing. Whether it is a carcass of an unclean beast or the carcass of an unclean livestock or the carcass of an unclean creeping thing and he is unaware of it, he also shall be unclean and guilty. Or if he touches human uncleanness, whatever uncleanness with which he, um, a man may be defiled and he is unaware of it, when he realizes it, he shall be guilty. And so this just speaks of being ceremonially unclean. So in their culture, if you touch dead animals, if you touch dead humans, there were certain things that if you came into contact with them, you would be considered contaminated. You were unclean ceremonially. You couldn't participate in the ceremonies, you know, far as worship until you were cleansed. And, and then as they were part of the cleansing processes, they had to offer um, a sin offering had to be offered up for this. Verse four, or if a person swears, speaking thoughtlessly with his lips to do evil or to do good, whatever it is that a man may pronounce by an oath and he is unaware of it when he realizes it, there shall be guilt there. Um, then he shall be guilty in any of these matters. And so verse four is speaking about making careless promises. Um, you make an oath and you don't really give much thought to it. And um, that's something I, I've had to work on in my life. It's just, just real quickly committing this. Yeah, yeah I'll do that. I'll be there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, but you made a commitment, you made an oath, you said you would do something, and then now you're not. And I think the thing that's helped me out is having kids. 
because the parents knew you'd make a commitment to my, my, my kids at least. They remind me. They pull the card. They pull the pastor. Dad, you're a pastor. I know you're going to keep your word, Dad. You know, and they, they throw that at me, you know. So um, kids have helped me be more aware of just, man, I got I to gotta be crafty sometimes. They say, Dad, can we do this tomorrow? I will see. We'll see. That's a, that's, that's a, for me, that's been more, it's a safer thing than saying, yes, we'll do it. Now, once you say you're doing it, you're done. You got to make it happen. So I'm learning as I get older with the kids and say, hey, you know, we'll see. We'll see. Me and mom need to talk about that. Let me talk about it. Let's pray about it. That's a good one. Um, but just not making quick oaths. And so God said, look, if you make rash oaths, though, if you're making careless promises, if you're making oaths to do something, promising to do something, God said, look, if you promise it, you need to keep it. If you if you give your word, you need to keep your word. If you if you didn't keep your promise, it had to be atoned for. God is a big deal if you don't keep your word. And again, I look at this and think, I mean, how many times have we done this? How many times have we said we do something and then we don't do it? Um, God says, I don't, I don't want that to be in you guys. I don't want that to be something that permeates our culture. I want us to be people of our word. What's the New Testament verse you think of when you read this? Let your what? Let your yes be yes. God says, let, you know, when you say, if you say yes, let it be solid when you say yes. And I, again, for me, as I'm, I'm reading this and I'm preparing this, this is definitely something for me to, that I'm working on. There are people in my life that I know their word is good. If they say, I'll be there, I know they'll be there. And we all know some people that if they say they'll be there, it's a 50-50 chance. You don't count on them. And if you see them, you say, hey, you made it. You know, you're almost surprised. Um, that, that says something about their character, what kind of people they are. Um, we want to be people that just cautious about giving our word out if we're not going to keep our word. And so, uh, again, God says here to them that if you if you if your person swears or speaking thoughtlessly. And that's the thing. Think about that. That's how we make oaths unintentionally, thoughtlessly, not thinking. I'm giving my word without thinking it through thoroughly. Sometimes if you just think, don't think long enough, you're like, I, I'm not sure if I can do that. Before you give your word out, before you make an oath, before you make a promise, thoughtfully, be thinking about the things that you say. These things are important to the Lord. And so in verse four, if they did that, it had to be atoned for. It had to be dealt with. And this is the thing that we're going to see throughout Leviticus is that sin did and it does always cost someone something. Sin is never freeze never it never just goes without cost there's never sin that didn't cost somebody something sin always has to be dealt with and for God for this group God is saying look I want you guys to be proactive in dealing with your sin so that I don't have to come deal with you because it will be dealt with if you don't deal with your own sin it'll be it'll come back to deal with you um, but God said I want you guys to be on the front street with it I want you guys to deal with sin I want you guys to bring it and deal with it and so now in verses five and six um we learn how to deal with sin. The first component, verse five, it says, and it shall be when he is guilty in any of these matters that he shall confess that he has sinned and um, that he has sinned in that thing. And he shall bring a trespass offering to the Lord for the sin which he has committed, a female from the flock, a lamb or a kid of the goats as a sin offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him concerning his sin. And so for them, sin must be dealt with. It had to be dealt with. And um, the first thing they got to do is confess it. Um, when we confess our sins, we're, we're agreeing with God. It, it means you see that in the New Testament to confess. It means to speak the same. It means to say to God, God, that that thing that I did, it's a sin. It was wrong. It wasn't right. I shouldn't have done it. Confession is step one 
to, to being able to repent, to being able to, to, to get rid of your sin. Some people can't do that. Some people got a reason for everything. And so you can't even repent until you come to the place of confession, of agreement with God. I can't really confess sin or deal with sin if I if it sounds like this. If I say, well, uh, and I, I'll put it in the, in the, in the realm of apology because some of y'all have given and some of y'all have received apologies like this. If someone tells you, I'm really sorry about that, but what that but do? It kind of undoes everything. I'm really sorry. I slapped you in the mouth, but the way you was talking to me, you know, just but says, but there's a reason why I did it. You know, it's not a, it's not a complete, you know, apology. It's not just, you know what? I messed up. I was in the flesh. I'm so sorry for what I did. And so we want to be good, you guys, at confession because we're good at sinning. So we need to be good at confession. That's how God says step one of dealing with your sins. You're going to confess it. We see that in the Old Testament. We see the New Testament. If you're writing notes, write down Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13. Proverbs 28, 13 says to um, he who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Guys, if you cover your sin up, you won't prosper. You will not be blessed in what you do. But if you confess them and forsake them, God will have mercy upon you, not give you what you deserve. There'll be mercy for you. We're told in the New Testament in, in, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. If I come to God and say, God, you're right. That was wrong. What I did, I shouldn't have done it. And I'm confessing it to you. God says, when you confess it, he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you that you can be back in the right place with the Lord. Um, God says in James 5, 16, you can confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another. That you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of the righteous man avails much. And so the idea of confessing your sin, you're bringing it into the light. You're bringing it into a place of truth. And confession involves owning it. I cannot confess a sin that I don't own, that I don't feel completely responsible for. And so um, whatever sins we struggle with, whatever things we do, know that when you bring it to the Lord, you want to just confess it in truth. You don't want to excuse it. You don't want to give a reason for it. You want to just say, God, your word says this is a sin. I messed up. I'm sorry. Um, great example of that in Psalm 51, when David finally repented of his sin with Bathsheba. Um, I want you to know what David didn't do. David didn't say, Lord, I know I was wrong, right? But she was on the roof naked, you know, and it really messed me up. He didn't say that. He says, Lord, he's a God against you and against you only. Have I sinned? Have I done this great wickedness? And, and the sin against you, he says, God, I've messed up bad. And it's against you and it's against you only. He just dealt with his sin and God received that. So the first thing they're told to do with their sins is to confess them. Um, confess that he has sinned and in, in, in that thing. And in verse six, then he shall bring his offering. So you're going to confess it. Then you're going to bring the offering, bring the trespass offering. And God gives some options. Um, he said they're going to bring the trespass offering. Um, notice it could be um, a female goat. I'm sorry. First, it'd be a, a female from the flock, a, a lamb or a kid from the goats as a sin offering. And so the priest shall make atonement for him concerning um, his sin. So from the flock, he'd be bringing a large animal um, or he could bring a lamb or he could bring a goat. And you're seeing that God is kind of going down the thing. Now, let's just say they couldn't afford to give one of those things. They couldn't afford to give from livestock. They couldn't afford to give a lamb and they couldn't afford to give a goat. God says, That's what, I got you. I got you because everybody needs to get right. Verse seven, he says, if he is not able to bring a lamb, 
Then he can bring to the Lord for his trespass, which he has committed two turtle doves or two young pigeons, one as a sin offering and the other as a burnt offering. So God's like, I'm making provision for poor folk. You've been listening to another edition of A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Thanks for tuning in. The book of Leviticus is full of relevant content that can still be applied to us today. Yes, even the Old Testament book that seems to just be full of rules and regulations. It's full of the grace of God. No matter how many times the Israelites seem to misunderstand or misjudge God, He still forgave them. He still gave them chance after chance and gave them what they needed. How many times in your life can you see that God has done the same for you? He gives grace even when we make mistakes. He gives grace even when we don't deserve it. He gives us chance after chance after chance. There is no one else like him. If you're struggling with your own mistakes and are having a hard time accepting the grace of God, we'd love to connect and pray for you. Our number is 310-245-4811. Again, that number is 310-245-4811. And if you're ever in the Inglewood area, we want to meet you in person. Our service times are on Sundays at 10 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. If you're unable to visit in person, we stream our services online too. For more information, such as directions and links to media pages, just visit CalvaryInglewood.org. Again, that website was CalvaryInglewood.org. Next time, Pastor Bill will continue teaching through the book of Leviticus, and you won't want to miss it. Learn more next time right here on A Transforming Word.